Chapter six of Mrs. Balfame by Gertrude Horn Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter six. Mrs. Balfame let herself into the dark house. Saturday was Frieda's night out. Contrary to her economical habit, she lighted up the lower floor recklessly and opened the windows she felt an overwhelming desire for light and air but as she wished to think and plan with her accustomed clarity she went at once to the pantry in search of food the blood was still in her head the morrow would be sunday and the saturday luncheon was always composed of the remains of the friday dinner on saturday she dined at the country club therefore mrs balfame found nothing with which to accomplish her deliberate scientific purpose but dry bread and a box of sardines she was opening this delectable when the front door bell rang her set face relaxed into a frown but she went briskly to the door the poison might be transpirable after all and her alibi must be perfect she had changed her mind about going to bed with a headache and at ten o'clock when she knew that several of her childless friends would be at home she purposed to call them up and thank them sweetly and cheerfully when she saw Dwight rush on the stoop, however, she almost closed the door in his scowling face. Let me in, he commanded. No, she spoke with sweet severity. I shall not. After such a scene, I must be more careful than ever. Go right away. I, at least, shall continue to be above reproach. Oh, he swallowed the natural expression of masculine irritation. If you won't let me in, I'll say what I've got to say right here. Will you divorce that brute and marry me? I can get you a divorce on half a dozen grounds. I'll have no divorce now or ever, Mrs. Balfame of Elsinore spoke with haughty finality. I abominate the word. Then she added graciously, But don't think I'm unappreciative of your kindness. Now, you must go away. The Giftnings live on the corner, and they always come home early. A good many have left including balfame he spoilt the evening rush stared at her and ground his teeth by god i wish the old duelling days were back again i'd call him out if you say the word i'll pick a quarrel with him anyhow he carries a gun but there isn't a jury in brabant county that wouldn't acquit me on the plea of self-defence my conscience would trouble me no more than if i had shot a mad dog mrs balfame gave a little gasp which he mistook for horror but temptation had assailed her why not her own opportunity might be long in coming it would be like dave balfame to go away and stay for a month but the temptation passed swiftly human nature is too complex for any mere mortal to reduce to the rule of three while she could dispose of her husband without a qualm her conscience revolted from turning an upright citizen like dwight rush into a murderer she closed the door abruptly knowing that no mere verbal refusal to accept such an offer would be adequate and he went slowly down the steps but in a moment he ran back and a few feet down the veranda thrusting his head through one of the open windows just one minute she was passing the parlor door and paused promise me that if you are in trouble you will send for me for no one else no other man that is but me you owe me that much 
Yes, I promise. She spoke more softly and smiled. And close these windows. It is not safe to leave veranda windows open at this hour. I intended to close them before going upstairs, but perhaps you will understand. The house when I came in seemed to reek with tobacco and liquor. With him. His reply was inarticulate, and he pulled down the windows violently, and she locked them, smiling once more before she turned out the light. She returned to the dining room, thinking upon food with distaste, but determined to eat until her head felt normal. She had no intention of speaking to her husband should he return, for she purposed to sleep on a sofa in the sewing room and lock the door. But tones and brain must be lightly poised when she telephoned to her friends. The telephone bell rang. Once more she frowned, but answered the summons as promptly as she had opened the front door. To her amazement, she heard her husband's voice. Say, it said thickly, I'm sorry. Promise not to take another drink for a month. Sorry, too, I've got to go to the house for a few minutes. Don't intend to go home tonight. Thought I'd give you time to get over being as mad as I guess you've got a right to be. But I got to go to Albany. Politics. Got to go tonight. Must go home and get my grip. You, you wouldn't pack it, would you? Then I needn't stay so long. Only got to sort some papers myself. Mrs. Balfame replied in the old wifely tones that so often had caused him to grit his teeth. I never hold a man in your condition responsible for anything. Of course, I'll pack your suitcase. What is more, I'll have a glass of lemonade ready, with aromatic spirits of ammonia in it. You must sober up before you start on a journey. That's the ticket. You're a corker. Put in a bromide, too. I'm at Sam's, and I'll guess I'll walk over. Need the air. You just go on being sweet, and I'll bring you something pretty from Albany. I want one of those new chiffon velvet bags, and you will please get it in New York, she said practically. I'll write an exact description of it, and put it in the suitcase. All right, go ahead. His accents breathed profound relief, and although her brain was working at lightning speed, and her eyes were but a pale bar of light, she curled her lip scornfully at the childishness of man, and she hung up the receiver. She made the glass of lemonade, added the usual allowance of aromatic spirits of ammonia and bromide. A bottle of each was kept on the sideboard ready for instant use then ran upstairs and returned with the colourless liquid she had purloined from dr anna's cupboard her scientific friend had remarked that one drop would suffice but being a mere female herself she doubled the dose to make sure and then set the glass conspicuously in the middle of the table the half-opened can of sardines and the plate of bread were quite forgotten and once more she ran upstairs this time to pack his useless clothes she performed this wifely office with efficiency, forgetting nothing, not even the hair tonic he was administering to a spreading bald spot, a bottle of digestive tablets, a pair of the brown kid gloves he affected when dressing up, and a volume of detective fiction. Then she wrote a minute description of the newest fashion in handbags and pinned it to his dinner jacket. The suitcase was an alibi in itself. When she had packed it and strapped it and carried it down to the dining room, returned to her room and locked the door, she realized that she had prolonged these commonplace duties in behalf of her nerves. Those well-disciplined rebels of the human system were by no means driven to cover, and this annoyed her excessively. 
she had no fear of not rising to precisely the proper pitch when she heard her husband fall dead in the dining-room for she always had risen automatically on every occasion for which she was in any measure prepared and to many that caught her unaware it was the ordeal of waiting for the climax that made her nerves jeer at her will and she found that a series of pictures was marching monotonously through her mind again and again and yet again with that interior vision she saw her husband walk unsteadily up the street swing open the gate slam it defiantly insert his latch-key she saw his eye drawn to the light in the dining-room at the end of the dark hall saw him drink the lemonade dropped to the floor with a fall that shook the house she saw herself running down calling out his name shattering the glass on the floor then running distractedly across the street to the giftnings and again and still again she had been pacing the room it occurred to her that she could vary the monotony by watching for him and she put out her light and drew aside the sash curtain in a moment she caught her breath her room was on a corner of the house and commanded not only the front walk leading down to elsinore avenue but the grounds on the left in these grounds was a large grove of ancient maples where dressed in white she passed many pleasant hours in summer with a book or her friends the trees with their low thick branches still laden with leaves cast a heavy shade but her gaze moving unconsciously from the empty street suddenly saw a black and moving shadow in that black and almost solid mass of shadows she watched intently a figure undoubtedly was moving from tree to tree as if selecting a point of vantage or restless from one of several conceivable causes could it be her husband summoning his courage to enter and face her she had known him in that mood but she dismissed the suggestion he had inferred from her voice that she was both weary and placated and he was far more likely to come swaggering down the avenue singing one of his favorite tunes he fancied his voice frida never returned before midnight and then although she entered by the rear hall door and stole quietly up the back steps she would be quite without shame if confronted therefore it must be a burglar there could not have been a more welcome distraction mrs balfame was cool and alert at once as an antidote to rebellious nerves awaiting the consummation of an unlawful act a burglar may be recommended to the most amateurish assassin mrs balfame put on her heavy automobile coat wrapped her head and face in a dark veil transferred her pistol from the table drawer to a pocket and went softly down the stairs she left the house by the kitchen door and after edging round the corner stood still until her eyes grew accustomed to the dark then once more she saw that moving shadow she dared not risk crossing the lawn directly from the house to the grove but made a long detour at the back keeping on the grass however that her footsteps should make no noise a moment or two and she was within the grove she saw the shadow detach itself again but it was impossible to determine its size or sex although she inferred from its hard labored breathing that the potential thief was a man he appeared to be making craftily for the house no doubt with the intention of opening one of the lower windows and she stalked him with a newly awakened instinct her nostrils expanding the original resolve to kill her husband had induced no excitement at all 
Even Dwight Rush's love-making had thrilled her but faintly. But this adventure in the night, stalking a housebreaker, presently to confront him with the command to raise his hands, cast a momentary light upon the emotional moments experienced by the highly organized. Suddenly she heard her husband's voice. He was approaching Elsinore Avenue from one of the nearby streets, and he was singing, with physiological interruptions, Tipperary, a song he had cultivated of late to annoy his political rival, an American of German birth and terrific German sympathies. He was walking quickly, as top-heavy men sometimes will. She drew back and crouched. To make her presence known would be to turn over the burglar to her husband and detain the essential victim from the dining-room table. She saw the shadow dodge behind a tree. Balfame appeared almost abruptly in the light shed by the street lamp in front of his gate, and then it seemed to her that she had held her breath for a lifetime before her ears were stunned by a sharp report. Her eyes blinked at a spurt of fire before she heard David Balfame give a curious sound, half moan, half hiccup, saw him clutch at the gate, then sink to the ground. She was hardly conscious of running, far more conscious that someone else was running, through the orchard and toward the back fence. Hours later, it seemed to her, she was in the kitchen closing the door behind her. Something curious had happened in her brain, so trained to orderly routine that it seldom prompted an erratic course. She should have run at once to her husband, and here she was inside the house, and once more listening intently. It was the fancied sound that swung her consciousness back to its balance. She went to the front of the back stairs and called sharply, Frida! There was no answer. Frida! she called again. Did you hear anything? I thought I heard someone trying to open the back door. Again, there was no answer. Then, her lip curling at the idea of Frieda's return on Saturday night at eight o'clock, she went rapidly into the dining room, carried the glass containing the lemonade into the kitchen, rinsed it thoroughly, and put it away. It was not until she reached her room that it occurred to her that she should have ascertained whether or not the key was on the inside of the rear hall door. But this was merely a flitting thought. There were loud and excited voices down by the gate. In an instant she had hung up her automobile cloak and veil, changed her dress for a wrapper, let down her hair, and thrown open the window. "'What is the matter?' her tone was peremptory but apprehensive. "'Matter enough!' John Giffening's voice was rough and broken. "'Don't come out here. Mean to say you didn't hear a shot?' Two or three men were running about nearer the house, one paused under her window and looked up waving his hand vaguely shot shot i heard so many tires explode what do you mean what is it who here's the coroner cried one of the group at the gate coroner she ran downstairs threw open the front door and went as swiftly toward the gate her hair streaming behind her who is it she demanded now now Mr. Giffening intercepted her and clasped her shoulder firmly. You don't want to go down there, and don't take on— She caught herself up haughtily. I am not a hysterical woman. Who has been shot down at my gate? Well, blurted out Giffening, I guess you'll have to know. It's poor old Dave. Mrs. Balfame drew herself still higher, 
and stood quite rigid for a moment then the coroner one of her husband's friends came up the path and said in a low tone to Gifning Take her upstairs. We're going to bring him in. He's gone for a fact Mr. Gifning pushed her gently along the path as the others lifted the limp body and tramped slowly behind You go up and have a good cry he said I'll phone for the Cummerts. I guess it was bound to come there's been hot times in Dobton lately Do you mean that he was deliberately murdered? Looks like it seeing that he didn't do it himself the damned hound was skulking in the grove of course He's made off, but we'll get him all right Mrs. Balfame walked slowly up the stair her head bowed while the heavy inert mass so lately abhorrent to his wife and several politicians was laid on the sofa in the parlor whose evolutions had annoyed him Mr. Gifning telephoned to the dead man's brother-in-law then for the police and the undertaker Mrs. Balfame sat down and awaited the inevitable bombardment of her privacy by her more intimate friends Already shriller voices were mingling with the heavier tones down on the lawn and out in the avenue The news seemed to have flashed from one end of Elsinore to the other End of chapter 6